Hello and welcome to Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. I'm your host, Harrison Greenbaum. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Harrison Comedy. That's for Twitter and for Instagram. This show goes out every Monday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. EDT or 4 p.m. PDT uh, and is presented uh, by the IBM, the International Brotherhood of Magicians. If you'd like to join, all you got to do is check out magician.org slash join the IBM slash join. That's all you got to do. People are super excited for this one. I can see it in the comments already. Uh, we have people who are saying hello from Israel, which uh, our, our, our featured guest just did a television show there. Hi, and thanks for doing this. Looking forward to the episode. And somebody already asking for an episode of That's So Maven, uh, which is uh, a fantastic meme, uh, which you can find combining uh, the magician that we're about to present and love with a television show that some of you might know and love. Uh, boy, uh, I am so excited. This is such a treat for me. The guest on Who Books That tonight is one of the most incredible performers in the world. I think we can all agree on that. He is has performed in dozens of countries around the planet. He's one of the most well-read and well-respected magicians on the planet. Uh, his show, uh, had, there's been a bunch of different shows that he's done. He's been on, uh, and I'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, um, but his show Thinking in Person opened in 1998 and then 20 years later reopened and then four years went off Broadway. We can talk to him a little bit about that, but Max Maven is just a legend in the field and uh, and just, I'm so excited about this. So let's uh, not wait any longer. Here we go. Max Maven, everybody. Max Maven. Hi Harrison, how are you? How you doing, sir? I lost your audio. Um, if we can oh. just make sure uh, to turn on your microphone. Uh, I have, uh, maybe go into the cam settings. Uh, let's see. Oh, no, you went mute and now you're back. Does it work now? Uh, I think that's a much better. I think that's actually probably on my end. Uh, so let me double check. Uh, there we go. Yes, we're back. We did it. Uh, so many people, so many Congratulations. people. Are... You scared me at the very outset yes. when your mic was muted. And I thought it might be the settings on my end, so. Oh, you know what? This is the first time I screwed that up. And I think it's because you make me nervous. This is uh, the first time I've been so nervous. Then I've done my job. <laughs> we have uh, so many people from literally around the world. Uh, Australia is in the building. Uh, people are, Mark Paulson said, I'm super exciting. South Africa is in the house. So literally fans from all around the world. Uh, and I, I've been doing some, some diving into your, your bio. Uh, it says here that you grew up mostly in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. And one of the first things you did was hit the comedy clubs. Uh, so I guess the question there was, was the act uh, comedy or were you bringing the, the Max Maven or a version of the Max Maven that we know into these comedy clubs? Well, I jumped into the comedy scene uh, when it first started its modern existence around 1978. Uh, and when the comedy club circuit suddenly popped into existence, which happened very, very fast. Uh, the normal situation, which I, is still the case today, was that you had to work your way up. Right. So you would enter as, as a, an MC doing a very small set. And then you, if you were good enough, you became a middle doing a mid-length set and getting mid-sized money. And then if you stuck it out and proved yourself, you could be a headliner. Uh, I got to jump right into headlining simply because I had uh, I, I'd been working already, so I had credentials. So when that circuit popped into existence, I'd already been on national television. And so what headlining? Uh, did you adapt your act for that scenario when you were headlining? Not really. Uh, 
I mean, I've, I've never considered myself to, to be a comedian. I, I would like to think I get my share of laughs, but I'm not a straightforward comedian. Uh, having said that, it, it worked well in the comedy club uh, environment. Uh, at one point, we figured out that I had set some sort of a record in, in I think it was 70% of the clubs that I was working. Now, that might have been a record for the most drinks sold on a Wednesday, <laughs> but the clubs were happy with me, and I did that as my pretty much, uh, well, my primary work for 13 years. Wow, and uh, what, what about your act drove uh, the audiences to drink? <laughs> um, the evidence is right in front of you. <laughs> well, by the way, I just realized that I haven't even cleaned up my apartment for you, which I will make sure. Uh, that, that's one of the things that I love about this is that sometimes you get a little bit of a peek, and in, in something that is not surprising to me at all is there's a tremendous amount of books behind you. Everybody keeps mentioning that, that <laughs> what you can see from right behind me as I sit at my desk. Uh, that's barely, I don't know, a, a tenth or less of, of the actual number of books in this room. Wow. And, and are you, I, I read in one of your bios that you read at least 150 books uh, and magazines every month. Is that number going up in quarantine? Mm, no, because it's harder to focus, or at least it is for me. I've had other people say the same thing. This whole situation is so surreal. I find myself very easily distracted. So if anything, I'm, I'm, I'm reading less because uh, it's less, less easy to sort of fully engage. Yeah, no, I feel it. It is a weird time. I mean, have you, have you been doing virtual performances? Not really. I mean, I've been doing performances through this sort of medium since before you were born, Harrison. Oh yeah, no. This is my segue into your virtual magic, which you've the, all the the mind games and all that stuff. Yeah. Is incredible. But I'm, you know, I'm, am I doing it now? I've done a couple, but uh, at the moment, there's no money in it. So <laughs> that's fair. Absolutely. And we were talking about comedy clubs. Somebody, uh, Jim Daly, said, "I worked with Max at the Comedy Factory outlet in Philly in the early '80s." I always love when the uh, comedy clubs had ridiculous names because everybody knows the best comedians are working at the outlet. Right, right. Uh, I, I, there was a club in Canada called Hecklers, which I always thought was a little <laughs> aggressive. That this, sounds this too much of an invitation, doesn't it? Yeah. It's always like if somebody started acting you during that club, there's nothing you can really say because it's in the name. Right. And uh, I dug up a clip of you uh, with a very famous comedian, uh, Robin Williams. Uh, was that while you were in this comedy club circuit or is that kind oh. of that uh, you're talking about the Mark and Mindy appearance. Yes. Yeah, that took place, I think, 1980. That's um, right in the middle of that comedy boom. It was when the comedy boom had really, I mean, the comedy boom started in the in the mid to late 70s, and it had really become fully established by 78 or 9. And so, yeah, this was, uh, that was quite a week I spent on that set. I, I will share this with people who have not seen it. Uh, I think uh, this was quite typecast as demon driving instructor. Um, let's let's pull it up. Uh, the audio it's 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 repurposed from a VHS, so the audio is a little bit degraded. But I think uh, it is pretty awesome. Uh, this is Robin Williams and yeah, Max I'm Maven, um, Mark and Mindy. Sense between me and my first live action play. How do you like this? Uh, uh, uh. Get it? Ah! Uh, Four twelve. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> 
many takes uh, of that did you do? Just the one. Oh, that's amazing. One take max. That's your, your nickname in the biz. Well, uh, <laughs> it actually is uh, in some circles. Uh, that show was, was taped in front of a studio audience. So we really didn't, uh, unless something went horrifically wrong uh, in, in that type of, uh, of shoot, you didn't retake anything. Now, the episode unusually had an external location shoot as part of it. If you've seen the whole episode, there's a driving gag where, where he, Robin is taking his driver's test and I'm the test instructor. And, and that was shot outdoors uh, in a parking lot area of Universal Studios. Uh, was it, you know, it was Paramount, it was Paramount. Uh, so that was shot separately, but everything else was done in front of the studio audience. And when you when you were taking those gigs, was it to get your name out there? Was it just for the fun? What what was the motivation to audition for these kind of parts? Um, I like exploring, and and this you know the various uh, acting gigs that I've landed on television series. I haven't done that many of them, but they've been good uh, experiences for me. And it's just been to learn more about the the whole nature of performance and specifically about performing on television. Yeah, one of, one of the clips that I found, which is now easily my favorite thing I've seen in this entire quarantine, uh, was a children's show you did for Fox uh, called Count to Clues. Uh, and I, I do want to share this with the audience because, wow, I, I, I wish there were more episodes of this. I, I love it so much. It is wonderful. It takes place at the Magic Castle. Uh, there's some familiar faces in it. Here count the clues. I dare you to find the clues to this mystery. I wonder who would abscond with the wand, abscond with the wand, abscond with the wand, swipe the stick. Well, whoever it was, join us as together we solve the case of the wandering wand. Here at Count the Clues Mystery Castle. Which had, uh, by the way, an incredible theme song, which uh, is going to be my ringtone for you. Uh, okay. It's it's I love it so much. Um this is the the incredible theme song. Uh just a little snippet of it. So with that project, uh, did they come to you with that? I mean it, it seems They very, did. Wow. Um, that was, uh, it was actually done as a pilot. This was uh, at a time in the, what, early 90s, I guess, uh, when cable had not fully taken over television and the broadcast Fox network suddenly owned children's television, particularly on Saturday mornings. And they had a bunch of really powerful hits. And so these producers came up with this premise, which was meant to be sort of a, uh, a mystery show where the kids would join in trying to solve the mystery. And there was this kooky cast of characters uh, in, a, in a mysterious castle that was played by the actual Magic Castle. Uh, and when the pilot was delivered to Fox, they said, we'll pass on buying the series, but we'll air the pilot as a special. And so they aired it uh, as a Halloween special for the next four years. 
And I also, what I love about it too is, uh, oh, there we go. Adam said, Count to Clues is my new favorite thing in the world. It is, it is amazing. Um, I love Tommy Koenig, who was in that show. Uh, yeah, he, that, he is one of the, that cast. Um, was there, because I know Kevin James was also in it. They, fil they were filming magic performances in that. Right. Well, Did part of, the, part of the, the structure of the show was to give variety performers a slot in the show. So the idea was that every episode would have uh, a couple of variety acts performing in that pilot episode. We had Kevin James and we also had, oh God, I'm going to blank on his name. I can see his face. The, 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 a hula hoop performer who was terrific. Yes. And, and, and I'm completely blanking on his name. Anyway, so the, the idea was that there was a space for music, for variety, for magic, and, and many other things besides. And I think one of the things too is that there's that the Max Maven character or the is, is still strong, even whether it's in a children's show, whether it's in a very serious off-Broadway show, there's a consistency across all of that. Even, even when you're a driving instructor, it's still you can still see the the character that you built. And I guess I wonder your journey to that. I know I there was a quote you said where you didn't create a character, you cultivated one. And I wonder if you can speak to to that process. Well, my character is uh, I, as I think is the case, not with every character, but with many, it, it's it's an emphasized version of me. It, it's based on me, but I've turned the volume up on certain aspects and m minimized certain other aspects. And the result is something that at least hopefully connects fairly uh, efficiently. And I've, I've noticed in terms of my journey uh, of, there's sometimes a bleed where there's there's Harrison offstage and there's Harrison on stage and they're separate people. There's a magnified Harrison, but right. sometimes there's a bleed. There's like a conversation where things that Harrison do on stage start to to bleed into real world Harrison, and on, I think over time they start to blend together. Do you feel like that that is the case with you as well? Um, yeah, but I don't think I don't think it happens to me by accident. I know when I'm shifting over <laughs> uh, from one to the other. Uh, thus far, at least, I've managed to avoid the thing of suddenly not realizing that I've mutated. Yeah, I mean, I guess, th does that connect in any way? I know you're a big fan of wrestling, and th those people develop their characters where they, their characters might be different than who they are, but sometimes there's a bleed there as well. Do you think there's a connection there? I think there is. I think there are wrestlers who, who create very elaborate characters that they're not like at all offstage, but I think most of them are finding things in themselves to exaggerate and and put up front to make the character work. Yeah, and I, another quote that I, I I found that you had said, it was, it was actually a quote from uh, Hakusai, you were quoting him, um, and you found the quote, I was born at 50, and then later on you found the quote, everything I created before 70 was shit. Do you find, uh, um, as, you reach the, uh, as you reach that age, uh, or have reached that age, that that, that stands true? Um, in a way, uh, first of all, we should explain to the people who are viewing the person you're talking about, his name is pronounced Hokusai. Oh, sorry about that. And, he, and he's the, uh, the, the Japanese woodblock artist from the 19th century, whose most famous piece was The Wave. Yes. A classic piece of, of Japanese, uh, uh, graphic art. And, and in many ways, he was, <laughs> he was the Die Vernon of, of, woodblock art, uh, you know, the grand master who influenced everything that came after. 
And uh, that first quote was when he turned 50. And I came upon it uh, just around the time I turned 50. And it was a really great quote to hear. That He said, I was born at the age of 50, meaning that when he turned 50, when a lot of people start thinking, oh, okay, I'm past my peak, I'm, it's all downhill from here. And he, looking back from a much older age, said, no, 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 this is where I started to get it. Right. <laughs> and then a year later, on my 51st birthday is when I came across the second quote, which was from much later in life, in which he said, all of my work before the age of 70 was shit, which gave me hope for the future. <laughs> By the way, uh, now that we've descended into that level of vocabulary, you know, I did, I did some research on you oh, uh, no. to find out what this show was. You know, you do more more webcasting than anybody. Is there a day I, that I, you're not on? I've turned into the comedy magician equivalent of a cam girl. Yeah. So I watched some of your prior shows. Yes. To see what I was getting into, and so I watched. Uh, uh, the one with Mac King. Yes, absolutely. And, and listening to the vocabulary that Mac used on that show, my reaction was, wow, the IBM has really loosened up. Oh, I've been trying my best to keep everybody as, as family. I mean, the IBM was used to be notorious for really coming down hard on performers at their conventions who veered into harsh language, shall we say? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder, like, do you find, because I find when I'm doing the conventions, sometimes there's that tough sell where I go, everybody here is an adult. If we put a warning out saying this is an adult show, is it possible to do an adult thing? And I think your show is much more geared towards adults than to children. Uh, and yeah, but I don't normally use um, uh, harsh vocabulary. Even when I was doing the comedy club circuit, where it was kind of expected right, uh, or even desired that, that you would work blue, which is not a, a term I use, but I always kept, uh, Francis Ireland Marshall used to always compliment me on the fact that she would come and see me when I worked comedy clubs in the Chicago area. And she would say, you know, those other acts have such bad vocabularies and you don't need it. <laughs> I don't know if I needed it or not, but it just didn't fit me. So and what was the title of her? She wrote a book about her life. And I'm, I am I have it on the shelf over there. I have to find it. But um, I remember having an incredible... Well, you know more than one, but the one you're probably thinking of is you don't have to be crazy. That's it, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be crazy, but it helps. Yes. She was something. She was great. But I guess I wonder, because it feels like sometimes with... Like when you do comedy, it's almost assumed that it's for adults. Uh, and if you want to have kids in the room, you have to kind of specify this is a family-friendly show. With magic, right. it feels like it's the opposite. And do you, do you, what, do you have any thoughts on why that might be? Well, uh, part of it is tied to what I think is a very bad misconception about magic, which is that it's essentially for kids. Right. And magicians promote this idea themselves by talking about, oh, yes, magic. It lets you be a child again. It lets you rediscover the childlike wonder. And I frankly disagree. I think that magic is largely wasted on little kids. Right, exactly. because, because little kids live in a world where nothing is very stable. They're still figuring out what the rules are that governs reality. And so magic is it doesn't break the rules for little kids. 
Right, they just still don't know that things are. The world is pretty magical to start with. And so saying magic is for kids, no, magic is for grown-ups who've gotten rigid in how they think the world works. And yeah, then suddenly, the magician's able to take them somewhere they didn't think they could go. Did you ever, when you were starting out in magic as a, as a young Phil, did he ever do kid shows? Yes. I did kids' birthday parties starting when I was about 12 years old. Wow. What did that, did it, did it, if I saw it, would I recognize Max Maven or was it a full on kid show? It was a kid show. It was, you know, <laughs> fairly standard stuff rope magic and silk magic and multiplying billiard balls and linking rings and egg bag, all the, all the stuff that you would expect from, from a, uh, a magician who didn't have a big budget. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my big uh, my big discovery was I could do all my card tricks with Pokemon cards, and I thought that was very clever. Was just showing them, uh, but yeah, that, the kid show thing in me lasted very very shortly. I think there was I did like on my second show, a kid came up to me and was like, "Are you a real wizard?" And without thinking, I was like, "Do you think if I had real powers, I'd be working for twenty dollars for your mom?" I think that ended my kid show career immediately. Yeah, I I, I don't know that you're the best fit. <laughs> for the kid show market, nor would I say I am, but uh, that's going to go on my website. Not a good kid for fit for the kid show market, Max Mason. But there are, I mean, I have to say, uh, I've seen some extraordinarily skilled kid show performers. Oh In yeah, fact, one of the one of the one of the greatest ones I ever saw uh, just died a couple of months ago. Um. And here I am blanking on his last name. His first name was Dick. He did 500 school shows a year. What the hell was his name? I can see his face again. What? No, I was trying to figure out what his name was. trying to come up with a Dick gag. Um, the hell was his name? He was wonderful. This is a guy who did, it'll come to me, but this is a guy who did 500 schools a year. And normally he would do audiences of K through six, which is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Because if the kindergartners like it, then the fifth or sixth graders say, well, I'm not going to laugh at that. That's beneath me. And yet the, the, the really young kids, the, the kindergartners or first graders are looking to the older kids to say, what should I like to feel cool? So but getting them all on the same page is incredibly difficult. Uh, Ken Osborne, someone, Ken Dumb just just got the name before I uh, before my brain reminded me. Yes, Dick Oslin. Dick was unbelievable. There's a great story about Dick. Was Dick was staying uh, in Chicago? He was visiting Jay and Francis Marshall and staying in their in their place, and uh, they were sitting in the kitchen having dinner. And the phone rang. So Fran picked up the phone and said, yeah, oh, well, I'm sure he'll be there in a moment. Yeah, no problem. She hung up the phone and she turned to Jay and said, you're supposed to be doing a Punch and Judy show that starts in 20 minutes. And they're wondering why you aren't there. And Jay said, oh, my God, I got the dates wrong. Come on. And he grabbed Dick and they jumped in, in Jay's car and started driving to this Chicago suburb to do the, the gig and Jay sitting in the backseat of the car assembling the Punch and Judy stage piece you know the the whatever they call it but that contraption that you do the Punch and Judy through and he's assembling this thing in the backseat while Dick is, is driving they arrive at the place 
about 10 minutes after Jay is supposed to have started. And Jay says, look, it's still going to take me another five to 10 minutes to finish setting this up. Can you go out and just hold the kids for a few minutes? <laughs> now, Dick had no prompts with him and no preparation done, but he said, sure, because he did this all the time. So, so Dick went out and did eight or 10 minutes with no props and killed. At which point Jay was ready and did the Punch and Judy show. And when they, when the show was over on the drive back, Jay said to Dick, I'm ne never letting you open for me again. <laughs> I couldn't follow that. You were too strong. That's incredible. So that's a testament to Dick as, as to what a wonderful, uh, uh, specifically kid show entertainer he was. Yeah, and I want to loop back on one thing because I alluded to uh, you being a big fan of wrestling. And one of the things that I love about this show is that I like to bring on guests that even you don't know are, are going to be on the show. Um, and this is uh, a fantastic wrestler um, who I believe you might be a huge fan of. Uh, and Crow Garrett helped me set this up. So I want to introduce Rocky Romero, everybody. Oh, you're kidding. Hey, Rocky. How are you guys doing? Hey, Max. Hey, Harrison. How you doing? Thank you so oh, much. Good. Appreciate How nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Where are you? Uh, I, I actually just was about to head to the uh, to the store, pick up some supplies for uh, for my Are you, in, wife are you in California? Yeah, in in LA okay. right now in California, and uh, yeah, just been uh, been at for home like everybody else. Follow wrestling. Rocky yeah. is uh, connected to a promotion called New Japan, so you right. spend a lot of time in Tokyo. And uh, Rocky is terrific. I mean, I highly recommend going on YouTube and, and finding some of his matches. What a nice surprise to see you. Yeah, and you can follow him on Twitter, uh, A-Z-U-C-A-R-R-O-C. That is the Rocky's Twitter account right below. So make sure you follow him. And are you where are you currently at the moment? In Los Angeles. I'm, I, was, I like literally just came uh, downstairs outside of the apartment to, to head to the store. Max, he's actually right outside your house. No, that was <laughs> He comes in. Oh, wonderful surprise to see you, Rocky. And how's everybody doing in, in the promotion back in Japan? Yeah, yeah, everybody's healthy. Uh, number Good. one, thank God. Um, you know, I, you know, we're uh, obviously a live event business. So, you know, this, this whole thing is, uh, you know, it sucks really to me, to be honest. But, um, you know, we just can't wait. Everybody's staying in shape. We can't wait to, to bring back, uh, you know, the best professional wrestling, I think, uh, on the planet. And that's New Japan Pro Wrestling. So uh, we'll be back and we'll be stronger and better than ever once we actually Terrific. get back and get past this. Yeah. Well, and I look forward. I look forward to seeing you live again. Absolutely. Uh, have you ever seen uh, Max perform? Uh, no, but I'd like to. I can't, I'm waiting for the day that we'll actually get a big uh, Max Maven show, whether it be you know in the states or maybe even Japan, possibly. Right. Maybe like a. Like a January fourth, uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, that's that's a big man. show right then. <laughs> that's exciting. This is fantastic, right? I've right. had the pleasure of hosting Rocky along with uh, Crow Garrett, hosting Rocky and several of the major players from New Japan at the Magic Castle. Oh, that's right. amazing! And Rocky, I don't yeah. think you know this, but uh, uh, last month, uh, just around the time that everything shut down. Uh, the Magic Castle announced the results of its elections. I am now the vice president of the Academy of Magical Arts, which is to say the Magic Castle. That's so awesome. Congratulations. That's amazing. So that means I've got juice. And the next time you come, we'll treat you even better. 
Oh, I love it. I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, we, we've been there so many times and, and Max and, and both Crow have been so great to, to myself. We had the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada there one night. That was amazing. I mean, every time yeah. that we go, it's just it's such a great time. And, and I, I love the magic. I love the, the atmosphere, the history. It's, it's what a magical, magical place. I can't disagree with that. Oh, that's awesome. Rocky, thank you so much for uh, calling in. I, I appreciate no it worries. so much. Uh, and yeah, we can't wait to see you at the Magic Castle. Absolutely. See you guys soon. Have a good Great one. Great to see you. Be well. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Rocky Romero, everybody. Follow him. Uh, wow. Azuka Rock, I believe is the, I'm, I'm hopefully for now. Azuka, Sugar Rock. There you go. Yeah. That's it. Rock. Uh, and, and he alluded to Japan. You yeah. have been all over the world. Uh, do you, I think you speak Japanese, uh, at least yeah. to a degree. And I speak Japanese uh, reasonably well. Actually, uh, the first time Rocky came to the Magic Castle, uh, he brought several of the New Japan people, including uh, one of the, the the real major players who who is an older guy. And when I was introduced to him and his wife, we launched into a conversation in Japanese. And the the older fellow, whose name is Tiger Hatori, uh, in the middle of this conversation, looked over to Rocky and said in English, "Why don't you speak this well?" <laughs> which was embarrassing for Rocky, but nice for me. It was fun. And uh, there's a bunch of people commenting, uh, I love this fantastic Max wrestling combo. Uh, and John Kinney said, who do you look up to, Max? A lot of magicians look up to you, but who do you look up to? Well, um, are, is the question in magic or in life in general? I, I think, I, I think I'd, I'd rather you answer it broadly, uh, not be uh, re just restrained to magic. Boy, there are so many people who I've admired and still admire. And who... <laughs> I was talking over you. I didn't even hear who you suggested. Oh, no, I, said, I said the correct answer is me. Oh, oh, I think that's that. Um, I do admire you, Harrison. Oh, stop that's it. That's actually true. No, no, no. You may not remember the first time we met, but I do. Uh, you were performing at the Magic Castle uh, in the parlor. And I'd heard good things, and I went to see your show. And when the show was over, the full, full audience, so there was a big wave of people leaving. And since I hadn't been introduced to you, I, I just left. And I got maybe halfway across the club, and I thought to myself, no, I shouldn't just walk away. I should go and say something. And I walked back to the parlor, fought my way through the exiting crowds, and just came up to you and told you how much I liked the show. I, well, man, not, I don't do that that often with someone I've never met, but you really made a strong impression on me. No, I appreciate that. It meant, it meant the world to me, I, it, it, truly. And, and when we did Genie Convention, you gave me one of the best compliments, which was you said, after your show, normally you leave, but you stuck around and watched my show right after yours, which I, I know all the performers watching know how hard that is sometimes, because you did a two-hour show. You, were, you, played, yeah. you, put, you left everything on the field. So for you to stick around meant, meant quite a bit. Well, I really enjoy your work. And now that we're in the midst of this love fest, I should make a comment, which is uh, you have two web shows, right? I, you, have, you have this one. Yes. And you have Scam. Yes. And I was watching Scam the other night. <laughs> and our mutual friend, Carissa Hendricks was on who is, as of, I think, today, the cover girl of Genie Magazine, of the new issue. Yeah, it's amazing. And she's signing them virtually. If you yes, send I know. And, and, and 
so you, uh, Carissa comes on your scam show and plays games with you and your co-host, Mike Patrick, I think his name is? Uh, Patrick Damis. Patrick, I, I got the Patrick part right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so she keeps coming up with new games. And the other day, the other evening, she had a game called The Masked Magicians. Oh, yeah. This is a game Patrick and I came up with. And, and yeah. Coming to, to guest house. Where, where you, you and Patrick both put on blindfolds, and then she showed videos without the sound right. of magicians. And you then asked questions of spectators who were watching simultaneously and tried to guess who the magicians were. And on one of the clips, you said to the people watching, uh, you know, like 30 seconds in, well, what is he doing? What, what tricks is he doing? And the person said, oh, he hasn't done anything yet. And you said, oh, is it Max Maven? Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That was the roast joke. <laughs> so, so I may be rethinking my fondness for you. <laughs> I only roast the ones I love. Uh, and by the way, speaking of people who I have been very mean to and roasted, um, there's somebody uh, in here that you don't know about. These are all surprises. Uh, his name sounds very close to yours, but Matt King is in the house. <laughs> Howdy. 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 You only played Matt in a sketch of Matt Blood. I did what now? I think you actually played Matt in the in Jeopardy. Harrison, you now sound like you're in an echo chamber. Yeah, I think there's something screwy with my sound. I'm going to put my earbuds in and see if that helps. Perfect. Yeah, sorry. Hey, Mac. Oh, here. You guys can look at this while, while you're waiting. <laughs> that is a collection. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, by, by the way, the way you guys drink on my iPad, if you were a wrestler, that, that would have to be your signature move if, if The Rock had not. Well, I was going to say, except that he co-opted it. But I was doing it before him. There you go. But There's still a weird echo, though, isn't there? Of, of Dwayne Johnson. He's pretty amazing. Oh, unbelievable. There you go. That Does that help? That fixed it. Did it? Oh, good. Howdy. Howdy. How are you? I was mentioning the uh, Magic Live. There was a Chris Kenner sketch called Magic in Jeopardy, in which he played the sort of Alex Trebek figure. And you played uh, Max Maven. I did? Yes. Did you see that, Max? I was there. <laughs> was it funny? Yeah, yeah. not so funny. <laughs> well, I don't think it was quite as funny as you thought it was, but it was yeah, funny. No, I don't know. Hey, I'm growing funny. my Max Maven beard. I know. Everybody's growing yeah. beards now. Yeah. That was good. I don't know. But <laughs> it's uh, it's certainly more than I thought I could grow. I, I was really, I thought, nope, no chance I'll be able to grow a beard. I've never tried. This is the longest. This is the longest I've ever gone without doing a show since I was 16 years old. It's. Really are, are you getting uh, jittery? I don't. Not yet. I'm. Uh, I'm getting. I. You know. I'd like to see some people. But yeah, that would be nice. I but, think it's fascinating how many magicians are performing or lecturing online, and there's a kind of. Uh, a haze of desperation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's You're so desperate I, I, for for audience response, and of course they're not getting it online. So yeah, no, it's very unsatisfying. The things I've done, I don't know whether you've done any actual performing or just chatting with people. A couple but, of brief things, but uh, mostly just talking. 
Yeah, me too. It's not that, that different from my normal work. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of magicians though who hear who hear laughter and applause that does not exist. So this is going to be nothing. Well, new. that's true in live performance too. Yeah. Did you ever, Max? Did you ever work for the Panic Brothers? We used to call them uh, Jeff and Keith Schneider. They owned the Pittsburgh Funny Bone and the Columbus Funny Bone. Uh, I and, worked uh, a lot of Funny Bones. That yeah. was a chain in, in the day. I don't know if it still is, but I worked a lot of them. Columbus sounds likely. Yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure about Pittsburgh, but I don't remember any Panic Brothers. Yeah, guys called them the Panic Brothers. And one brother in particular, uh, Jeff Schneider, you know, when he would, when people would come in and to audition for him, you know, in, he would he would say, "What do you you th you have? You must have laughing ears." Ah, well, that's a, yeah. that's now become a standard. Uh, expression yeah, and that's the first I ever heard of it. Was uh -huh. this guy Jeff Schneider said that? Uh, yeah, you have applause ears too, where they walk off and they're like, "I killed," and you're like, "Wait, what? Were we in the same? We're in the yeah. same building?" Yeah, I think uh, magicians have something related to that. Uh, when they think they've powerfully fooled audiences. And the audiences are not fooled in some cases at all. Yeah. But the magicians think that that that, that they've just scored. Astonishment eyes, we'll call them. Uh, yeah, it works. Yeah. That works. Mac, do you have some fun uh Mac stories? I know you guys are very close, so I imagine there's some uh some jams. Uh, yeah, there are a couple I could tell that would shut this down, so let's not go there. Uh let's remember I've known Max since before he was married. Oh wow! Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he said Max stories, not Mac stories. I, uh, but I, <laughs> in in all senses of that word, too, really. Uh, <laughs> I should mention that that I really, really like your wife. Uh, yeah, I, I, Jen is one of I my think, favorite uh, people. I think well, one of your favorite people too. She is one of my favorite people too. And I believe that most of my friends feel like she's, you know, much nicer than, you know, they love her more than they love me, certainly. Well, that's kind of easy to accomplish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she just poked her. I told her what I was doing. I just found out about this a little bit, a few minutes ago. And uh, she poked her head in and I told her what I was doing. And she said, oh, be really nice to Max and tell him I said hi. See? So, yeah, so be really nice to me too. <laughs> Why? I don't have a wife who, who gave oh, me right. a okay. before I came on. True. Uh, I don't have any. I don't have any. Back in January, Max, if you were there, would you have any? Are there any jokes that you would uh, have wanted to share? Oh, at, at the roast. <laughs> I keep thinking of stuff that even at a roast you wouldn't you wouldn't want to go there. Um, I've known Mac since since he was telling. This is how long I've known him. When I first met Mac, he was performing with a funny accent that was very Andy Kaufman derived, and wearing a Viking helmet. And the premise was that he was from Belgium. I have seen clips of this. Jump in and contradict me if any no, of this. No, 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 that's, no, that's completely true. I uh, and who uh, told you to embrace your Kentucky rubeness? Oh, uh, I would say uh, that you, Max. Uh, this is all serious. Uh, uh, more than I, I can't think of anybody else who's influenced my show and my career more uh, than you. So, 
That's amazing. I mean, there's yeah. I mean, there are, I mean, there, there are people up there with you. I mean, Lance is certainly up there. Billy McComb, I think, is right up there. But I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't. I don't. I don't know where to put those three people. But uh, and but I feel like you probably feel the same for me. I mean, I think your your style has greatly inf been influenced by mine. Well, you steered me away from the flag. <laughs> Um, if they make, if they can make a plaid uh, kimono, then I think there could be a could be a possibility. One of the great things about it's called a kilt. Been, one of the great <laughs> things about having been friends with young Mr. King for the better part of forty years <laughs> is that I've had a chance to watch uh, Mac evolve. Uh, I think there was always something good there from the very first time I saw Mac walk on a stage. Um, but having said that, there were things that I saw when they were first glimmers of ideas that suddenly kind of got their bearings and then grew and then evolved and developed and all of these things. Watching that happen over, over a period of years and decades, it's really been pleasing to see that because now, you know, what, what started off as, as fragile little seedlings are now mighty oaks. <laughs> well, I'm I'm still a fragile little seedling myself. So, and the first time you saw Mac, did did you know that this is going to be one of the greatest comedy magicians of all time, or were you like, we're we're going to have to give this some time? <laughs> I don't know that I was thinking in 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 that grandiose sense. Um, yeah. I just know. I mean, I know the first time Max saw me. Yeah, I was just going to say, I remember very vividly the first time I saw Max. I was sitting with Lance Burton in the bleachers at Abbott's uh, watching the close-up show. And, uh, you know, we were probably 17 years old, maybe, and uh, watching. And, you know, we were we thought we were hot shots, too, man. We thought we knew everything. And we just, every damn trick was, you know, we would just, look at each other and like i don't know i don't give you i have no fucking idea how that worked and uh <laughs> and uh and watching you know the the way his sleeves were rolled up and uh the uh and no and a vest with no shirt and uh it was just i mean the whole in the haircut i mean the whole thing was just a, an experience unlike anything we'd ever seen and you know every trick fooled us and you know it, it was just mesmerizing to watch and when when Max uh, was helping you and 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 giving advice and and all that kind of thing, was there? How did you approach him? Was it trepidatiously? Was it uh, love? At like first to time? ask for advice? You mean? Yeah. How did how well, how did the first meeting? Oh go? no, he he barged up to me and told me what I was doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> when I actually met Max, which was around 1980 or 81, I guess, uh, it was through Lance. Right. Lance came. Lance moved out to L.A. Yeah. Uh, his excuse was he was booked to do the It's Magic show, but he bundled all his stuff up into a really beat-up car. <laughs> I remember it was yellow, and one of the doors was held together with a wire coat hanger. Yeah. And he and his doves drove across the country from Louisville to L.A., and he stayed. So after the It's Magic show, he stayed in L.A. for for months and then eventually uh, got a one-month booking in Vegas that extended a little bit. 
When he first moved there, didn't he move to the same building as you as well? Yeah. Yeah. yeah when he did, when he moved to do the It's Magic show, uh, they put him up in a hotel. And when he when that ran out and he was going to have to find a place to live, we had just met each other when he moved out. I I, I had not met him at the Abbott's get together that you and he were at. Uh, I mean, you, you were at a lot of them, but the one where you saw me, we didn't actually meet there. But when he moved to LA, we met and we hit it off very quickly. We had a lot of really good and interesting discussions from the outset. So when he was looking for an apartment, he checked and there was an available unit in the building I was then living in, and he moved into that building. And so we were spending a lot of time hanging out, talking magic, whatever. And then he said, my pal from from Louisville is, is coming out to LA and it was you. And that's when we got to meet. And that's when I first got to see you work. And, and, you know, we, we, we kind of had an immediate social bond because we were in a social circle as it were. Yeah. And so, uh, so there were, I don't think there was ever a moment that Matt King came up to me and said, please, sir, may I have advice? <laughs> no, no. We was, I, yeah, no, we were just we were we were friends and uh, magic. Like, please, huh? <laughs> right. I think it was more like I saw you work, and you said afterwards, "What'd you think?" Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And and were you Max Maven at that point? When when did Phil become Max? Was that very early on before you met everybody? Um, essentially, I mean, I, I when I adopted the name. That was back in the early 70s, early to mid 70s. Uh, and it, there was a, a period of time where everyone in the normal world, in the real world, called me Max. And that other name was only in the world of magic because I was publishing tricks under the other name, uh, which just got more and more awkward and confusing until finally I killed off the other name entirely. Um, Actually, somebody referenced the, that, uh, said, watching performers evolve is fantastic. I saw Max in 1977 at the Magic Cellar in San Francisco. He was, of course, already killing it. Oh, that's nice to hear. The Magic Cellar was a great place. The Magic Cellar was uh, the basement of a nightclub called Earthquake Magoons. <laughs> and it was Dixieland Jazz was, was the, the premise of the club. But they had this basement area that was fairly large that wasn't being used for anything. And the two brothers who owned the place, the Clute brothers, uh, there was some wall in the basement that turned out to be an artificial wall that was only temporary. And they took it down. And behind it, there was all this memorabilia from the Carter show. <laughs> yeah, Poster all those Carter posters and everything. And yeah. yeah. So they, they eventually said, well, let's use this as decoration and, and open a magic club. This is back in the 70s, early 70s, I think is when they started. So they did. And so the Magic Club was called the Magic Cellar because it was. And so the first time I came out to California was in 70, beginning of 77. And I did some lectures and shows up and down the West Coast. Uh, first time I'd ever been that far west. So I, I hit the Magic Castle. I hit the Magic Cellar. Uh Got as far north as Seattle, I think. Uh, and I did a week at the, at the Magic Cellar, or however long they were booking for. It was probably four nights or something. But that, I remember that gig well, because it was a really nice audience. One of the few places 
at that time, and even now, there aren't that many places where an audience comes with the intention of seeing magic, right? That's one of the things that everybody always raves about when they're performing at the castle, and now the Chicago Magic Lounge and a number of other places. Uh, but most nightclubs, uh, comedy clubs or otherwise, people don't come and say, gee, I hope there's magic on the bill. <laughs> You know, or if they're going to a, a corporate event or a, a, a banquet, they don't say, if, if only there'll be a magician, my evening will be complete. So most of the time, if you're working for an audience that doesn't know you're going to be there, you're starting at below ground level. You've got to work your way up to making them happy that this is the type of entertainment they're getting. But at a place like the castle or the magic cellar or that sort of thing, you have the advantage that some of the audience may actually know who you are going in. But even if they don't, they're predisposed to wanting to see magic. And that's, uh, in some ways, a great luxury. Yeah, and somebody actually in the comments, uh, Jason England, uh, who's in the house, said, I believe Max's mother is still alive and in her 90s. Does she call him Filler Max? And then Erica said, Jason, uh, she calls him Max. So asked and answered. <laughs> well, uh, Erica actually uh, met my mother. And Jason, my mother, died two years ago. So thanks. Okay. Um, <laughs> Actually, Max, I <laughs> she had a good ride. Actually, no, she's fishing on the Hudson River. <laughs> no, she's on the roof and she won't come down. Um, my mother did call me Max, uh, although she didn't start off that way. I mean, it's my mother him. called him Max as well, by the way. <laughs> my mother was pretty funny, she was in some ways much funnier than me. Uh, I will, I will tell a story about my mother. When she was pretty far into her 80s, uh, they discovered a lump in her breast. How's this for a setup for a joke? Um, this is true, by the way. And they said, okay, you've got two choices. We can do a lumpectomy, in which case there'll be uh, radiation therapy for weeks or months, and there's no guarantee that we won't have to come back and do more surgery, or we can do a mastectomy, and that will guaranteed get rid of uh, any cancer that's in there, but obviously you lose a breast, so you have to figure this out, and you can take a, you know, a few days, and she said, nah, do the mastectomy. I'm not dating. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> And then Erica says, Mac has a story about his mother's breasts. I don't know if that is true. <laughs> uh, Mac, I, thank you so much for joining us. I don't want to take too much of your time, but is there any uh, other things you want to share about Mac before you go? Uh, you know, just he's one of my favorite people. And, uh, I'm, uh, you know, when I was a kid growing up and, and then when I first saw him, uh, I mean, just to, to turn out to be one of his good friends uh, is like a dream. I mean, I, I mean that sounds stupid but uh he's just one of my favorite people in the whole world and i love him so uh stay safe oh that's amazing right. mac thank you so much for joining i really appreciate it Mwah. thank you mac <laughs> your family your wife and kid all right i will they're doing good all right i love you guys Mwah. Bye. thank you so much mac king everybody it's i one of the things i love about magic is it sometimes feels like the avengers and that all the people that were my heroes as kids who are in their own separate movies in my mind they all end up in a team up and it's, it's amazing, like Mac, Lance, you, like all people that are in separate things in my mind when I'm a 15-year-old magic nerd. Now I'm a 33-year-old magic nerd. Uh, but it's amazing to see uh, all the love being shared. 
Uh, changing topics slightly, because we went through your TV career. Um, when I was in college, there was a show that I was a very big fan of that you were on. Um, it was called Celebricadabra. Oh. I was very excited about it because I loved uh, trashy reality shows and reality competitions. And not to brag, but I have been eliminated from several in my career. Uh, uh, and uh, there was a host of that. Do you remember the host of Celebricadabra? He was also one of your judges. You're talking about Jonathan? Yes, he is in the building as well. Oh Third guest. And he put on a, a jacket and tie. Well, I have a story. I have a reason for that. But, okay. but we can get to that. Hello, Max. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. And uh, it's good to see you. Yeah, can I just say Harrison got in touch with me and said, hey, can you do this? And I said, oh, my God, I would love to. It happens to be not to make this about. It's my birthday. I know. I, I know. sent and, you an email. I, yeah, I know, which I really appreciate. And and Casey, uh, uh, the love of my life, she she uh, set up a whole day of surprises for me. And she said, put on a suit. I said, OK, I don't know what's going on. So we have a whole day and night planned. And then Harrison said, hey, <laughs> can you do this? And I'm, I just happened to be in a suit. So that's that's okay. it. That's it. That's it. Well, it's nice to see you and happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it does feel good to put on a suit after not being able to put on a suit for quite some time here. I'll bet. Uh, yeah. Well, are so you wearing the pants? I didn't. <laughs> this is why we like these virtual shows, by the way. That's why we, that's, we always say, mentioning. go to work and not wear pants. That is a successful day. It's worth mentioning that uh, in addition to my having been voted on to the AMA Board of Directors, Jonathan Levitt was just voted on to his first term of what will undoubtedly be several on the Board of Trustees. Yes, thank you. And, and he has immediately been put to work because uh, the castle, while it is currently shuttered, has been doing uh, events online for AMA members. And Jonathan is doing the heavy lifting on those. You've been uh, the tech and hosting uh, these shows, which are on Thursdays and Sundays. Thursdays and Sundays, yeah. We're having and, and we're having a ball. And we're Thank doing you. one together coming up. We we are we are coming up. Is it this Thursday? I think we're doing one yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a, a sudden change of schedule. And this Thursday, it's you and me. I'm so happy about that. And I'm happy about the congratulations to you for being our new vice president of the of the a AMA. And uh and yeah, it's been I'm I'm so glad. Uh, to be, it's and we yeah we got thrown into the fire basically. It, it, you know, yeah, it's hey, a crazy you, time to suddenly embark on, on, on this uh, <laughs> on this effort. Um, yeah, been, being involved fun. in helping to run a club that at the moment doesn't quite exist, but trying to uh, to keep that community yeah active and and yeah. involved, uh, and and at the same time is making plans for what will happen when we eventually. Yeah. are able to open in some way. I have to say, you know, Max, I see this as an opportunity in many ways. You know, it's an unfortunate situation that we're all in, but this is an opportunity to, for us to find new ways to engage with our, not to make this about this, but engage with our membership in state and out of state and mm -hmm. to provide new offerings and offerings that we wouldn't necessarily be able to provide in person and uh, with the live perks. And so, you know, hopefully this will continue even past the time we're open. Well, in fact, I've been saying for, for some years now that I've, I, I have felt that the castle, the AMA has, has been 
very much underusing the internet. Uh, we have a Facebook page. We we certainly have announcements that go out through email. We have our own uh, website. But I've been saying for a long time that we really should have more content. Well, this situation wasn't. I'm sorry that this is the situation that seems to have have, have been necessary to push that forward. But it right. has, and and there's really been some. It's only getting started, but there's been some great content already. And there's a lot more to come. I'm, I get to, I'm, I get the insider information, so I know what's what's uh, slated for the coming weeks. It's pretty I cool. Call it competition for Harrison Raymond show. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And and but so yes, it's great. Sundays and Thursdays on the AMA Facebook uh, page. If you're not, if you're a member and not a member of the Facebook page, make sure that you go and ask for because we have great content coming up. And uh, including Thursday with Max, which I'm, I had to tell you, Max. So look, here's the deal. Harrison, thank you for having me here because, you know, Max and I go back, right? We go back, not as far back as you and Mac, but we go back. Yes, and, we do. And uh, it means a lot to me. And uh, you and I have been through a lot together. And we survived you know, Celebrity Cadaver. He <laughs> did survive it. And can I tell you, can I tell you, there it is. Uh, can I tell you, I, a moment I remember, wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, look at that. Look at that. What are you thinking there, Max? That's what I want to know. Are you looking going, what are you What You're probably thinking, what do you guys think? What are you thinking? What are you doing? Um, so, Max, I remember being in Las Vegas. I'm thinking, what is up with that vest? <laughs> That's right. With, with Jeff? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got to tell you, Jeff was waxing poetic from every time he opened his mouth. Uh, to 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 say something about you know to to say a comment it was this you know it was very very uh, very floral um, here it was it was great so I remember Max sitting in Magic Live in Las Vegas when you basically heard the announcement that I was going to do the hosting thing and I walked in we were eating we were in the bre breakfast area there and you walked up or maybe it was later in the day but you walked up to me and you just put out your arms and gave me a hug. And it made my, well, it made it made my day. It made a lot more than that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's it was, nice to hear. I just uh, I just did a quick check online. That was two thousand and eight. Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I was I in know. college twelve years ago. I know. Amazing that it was that. I know. You know, it seems it, it it simultaneously seems like ancient history, and like it happened just recently. It, it, it feels like yesterday. That. As an avid viewer of this show, this is a clip from one of the episodes. This is a different episode, and uh, something does ch has changed uh, besides for the vest over okay. here. But there's something going on over here. I don't know if either of you can speak of of what's happening in, in this situation. I can. <laughs> we, both, we both can every day, Max. <laughs> I've got every day. Max came in, and. You know, in, in fact, I look at your hair now and I go, look at that hair. So every day Max came in and he said, I don't know how you said it. Maybe you can tell us that, how you got into it. But every day there was a new hairstyle for Max. Well, the way the show, the way the show was structured on each episode, uh, as one of the judges, I got two appearances. I, I was on wherever the location shoot was for the celebrity contestants to perform their magic i was there and then there was the wrap-up where we would judge the celebrities and determine who was being thrown off the island 
at the end of the episode. So the show had two hairdressers on, on staff. And I went to the hairdressers and I said, look, uh, I want to have fun with this. I want to have a different hairstyle every time I'm on camera. So that's two per episode. And <laughs> I've only got about three or four that I can do myself. So you, the two of you should start planning and I'll go with what kind of pretty much anything you come up with. And they did. And the great thing was for me, the great thing was they came up with some really outrageous hairstyles. And you put that Probably back. My up. favorite being that one where, where the hairdresser actually built horns out of my hair. Um, and the great thing <laughs> was, I don't know how I thought that just was, you know, I shaved mine down as, as a fellow Jew, but right. three Jewish magicians, we can discuss <laughs> openly the uh, need to hide the horns in most situations. But the, to me, the great thing was that somehow it was never discussed among the cast, among the, the, the judges and the, and the coaches and the celebrity contestants. But it was somehow understood that nobody would ever bother to mention it. it made it better. So I would be in some bizarre, you know, ninja hair or something, and no one would mention it. It was just there. And I thought really? that made it much, much better that it wasn't turned into a, a big deal. That it was just it was just came with the territory. I really enjoyed that. It was totally true. I and I would walk in. And you know, you, they did. They did your hair, I believe, in the, uh, the 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 eating area, the green air, the green room, the eating room for the palace. I think um, that's where. Yeah, mostly, I think, I think mostly. I mean, it it moved yeah. around a little bit, but those final right. judging sessions were shot in the Palace of Mystery at the Magic Castle, right. and and so yeah. So you'd wa I'd walk in. I go, oh, this is happening. I got to go out. <laughs> it, was, it was it was really great. I mean, you know what? I and I equated that whole experience of celebrity cadaver. People have asked me about it. I say it was like going to war. <laughs> you know, we we shot what did we shoot? Ten episodes in six weeks, I think. Something and, like that. Yeah. yeah. It was you know it was. And you had it. You you did. You took more of the of the burden than anybody else, because you were hosting and you were judging. Yeah. Uh, and you were working out tricks to do as the host. You were performing <laughs> tricks, fast visuals uh, for the camera. So yeah. I don't know when you slept, but but that was a, a hard go for you. It was, and and incredibly exhilarating, right? So there's actually a blooper reel out there uh, for Celebrity Cadaver bloopers. They put together a blooper reel of my really. Oh no, they ever showed me that. Yeah, it. You know I what? I'm, it. Actually, I, it is. I actually put it on my website. It's actually on the media section of my website. There's a okay. of bloopers, and it is quite funny. If you want to see Jonathan Levitt doing a very poor job of hosting, you can watch <laughs> that blooper reel. It's really something. And yeah. also on Academy of Magical Arts Thursdays and Sundays. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> That's right. That's Don't right. set it up. I can't knock it down. Uh, no, uh, Jonathan, I love you so much, um, and you have an incredible app. Um, called The Stranger, and oh, I yeah. hear a rumor that the version for Android is coming out and a 2.0 for iPhone is coming out oh. literally any day now. Yes. So if people yeah. want to really wish you a happy birthday, they might consider purchasing said app. Hey, you know what? Thanks for that. Wow, that's very nice of you to do that. Um, yes, this thing, I'm, I'm, it's dear to my heart. It's very special. It it's, gets great reactions, uh, and it's, it's it's the most fun I've ever had, I mean, really, on stage. And Yes, this like maybe even this week, version 2.0 for iPhone, version 1.0 for iPhone. I've endorsed this previously. Yeah. Uh, 
And I've also been just keep updated. You keep expanding what you can do. Yes, yes. Version 2.0 allows you to, you know, you can call a total stranger, a random number, and they can tell you a word in a book test. They can tell you somebody's birthday. They can tell you a name of somebody in the audience. They can tell you an object somebody's picked out of their purse. Sort of anything you want, a total stranger can reveal during the show. So it's, it's been, yeah, it's pretty been a Yeah. It's been fun. Really crazy. I mean, obviously there's editing for reality shows. Uh, uh, Patrick Thurns mentioned, I remember Ant pissing off Max, uh, or at least that's how it looked on TV. Was there any, uh, was there any weirdness where, you know, where the- No, Ant uh, is a comedian who's done a bunch of different reality shows. We actually first met on the pilot for Celebricadabra before Jonathan was in it. Uh, I was the only person, I think, who was retained from the pilot. Uh, no, maybe one of the coaches. But but uh, uh, Ant was one of the contestants on the sort of compressed version of the show that was done as a pilot. And it became very clear from the very outset that what was going to work on television was if we were adversarial. Mm. And, and so that's just what we did. Uh, but we were actually friendly off camera went out to lunch when the series, when the series was over, uh, a few weeks later, we we had stayed in touch and we actually went out to lunch. And So can I say something about that? the show had been. Let me, can I jump in on that? That's a testament, I have to say. That's a testament to you and Anne. I have, I have to say, because people would ask me, you know, we're used to un, to reality television and right. we know reality television is scripted. We know that it's all planned out, right? That we, we, we're creating these, these dynamics and we're creating these characters and that's part of what reality television became, right? What are you talking about? It's all real. That's why they call it reality and Kim Kardashian is a national goddamn treasure. <laughs> oh, you know what? You have a, you make an amazing argument. I'm done. <laughs> Uh, Harrison, uh, you are you should be on the debate team. Uh, you probably were, actually. You probably were president of the debate team, I'm guessing. Uh, here's the thing, though. You know, people would ask me about reality, celebricadabra, and what we did. But And I would always say the crazy thing about celebricadabra was that what you saw is what happened. Because I was watching it all, and then I saw the final edit. And... I'll be darned if that's if what I saw is what happened, right? Is what was edited. That it wasn't edited together to make these these relationships and these character dynamics happen. It was really what was happening. So what this relationship between you and Anne is a testament to the two of you because the reality of that is uh, that um, that I saw that and that's what we saw in the final cut. Because well, we it was never. I mean, it certainly wasn't scripted. We just right. Right. we just immediately recognized that there was an opportunity to tell a funny story about these two characters kind of butting heads, and yeah. so we just sort of did it. Um, That's That's but great. we were also aware that that at least to some degree it was all artifice and and not something to 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 worry about off camera. Are you telling me that I actually could have been friends with Ant? 
It would have taken a lot of work. Yeah, okay. All right. I just want to make sure that we're not, okay, I'm not. I'm not, not kept up with him at all. Is he you. And then the camera's wrapping to go, burritos today? Burritos. And then they're, they're out together. So we're done. Wait, Matt, what did you say just then? I just, I, I have not kept up with Ant, so I don't know if he's still around doing I, stuff or not. I haven't either, to be honest with you. I haven't either. I Actually, now I need to find out. Yeah, now there you go. That's exactly. We should have a celebrity cadaver reunion. I would watch it. I think there would be tens and tens of people who would love to see it. <laughs> no, not that many. And I'll tell you why. Because halfway through the season, VH1 changed the time slot. Who does that? Oh, they threw us away. Yeah. They had two two series that were airing that debuted at the same time. Yeah. yeah. One was ours, and one, I forget the name of the other, but the other one was a reality show that followed young Hispanic actors and actresses, good-looking people who were in early stages of their acting careers and kind of followed them around as, as they endeavored to make careers and had affairs with each other. And I don't remember what it was called, but the executives at VH1 looked at the two new series, our series and the young Hispanics in love or whatever. And they said, oh, that's the commercial one. And they put all of their attention and effort into that series. And our series was basically used as a space filler, which is why, as you say, partway through the season, they moved us to a different night, barely told anybody. We got almost no advertising. Uh, they just abandoned us. And and the extent to which we got we got better. We got terrible ratings, but they were better than the the other series. <laughs> I will say, look, I'm going to say this, and I and I will go on the record to say this: that Celebrity Cadaver was a good show. It was well done. It was interesting. Uh, if if my, if our friend Chris Martin is watching, which he may be, he very well may, and the team because they did a good show, and I think I and I, and and the fact that it did it was not. A train wreck is probably why it didn't continue. It was such a good show, and uh, and it could have easily gone to another season if not. I more. think so, and I think as as happens so often in television, uh, there were things we learned from that first season that if we'd had another turn Absolutely. at it, uh, I think the show was good, and I think it could have been sensationally good based on what we learned that first season. I'll tell you what I think they should have done. I think they should have doubled up the number of episodes so that there was so that each of the challenges spread out over two episodes and you had more of a chance to glimpse in on the process yes, of yeah, each yeah. celebrity working with his or her coach and developing whatever the actor routine was that had been imposed because that was the most interesting yeah. part of it to me and they and and I think Everyone involved with that show would probably agree with what I'm saying in hindsight when we were doing it. Who knew? Or replace the magicians with Hispanic actors who are just trying to make it in this well, crazy that would the network happen. Again, Harrison. It's like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> no, that's uh, uh, Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, and happy birthday. Everybody keeps wishing you happy birthday in the audience. Um, Dal Sanders said uh, in 2008, the TV audience for Magic wasn't there. CW should pick it up. And you definitely can't do worse than Masters of Illusion in the ratings. Ooh. So, uh, no, they've had at least 20 magicians. 
every right. season, and that's more uh, magicians than audience. Um, <laughs> Listen, I want to tell you, thank, thank you to Dal. Thank, thank you to, thank you to bo you both, Harrison. Thanks for having me on, Max. It's great to see you. I have to tell you, I'm just going to say this because I get a chance, Max. I am looking forward to uh, to working with you and making good things happen. And so, thank you. And thank Thursday, you. a really good time. I it's love it so much. I think it's such an exciting thing that two people that I love are so involved in a place that I love. And I think only good things can happen. Uh, and The Stranger, 1.0 for Android coming out, 2.0 for iPhone coming out, thestrangerapp.com. I swear that's not a weird sex thing. It's a, an app that is magic and is wonderful. Uh, Jonathan Levitt, thank you so much uh, for being our third and final special guest. Uh, round of applause. I, I feel like thank it's good to applause off. Good to see you, Jonathan. Thank you, talk to you. Harrison. I was very happy uh, that we could be his birthday surprise. Indeed. Well, that uh, was a, a big surprise to me. Yeah. Uh, somebody mentioned uh, your talk on magic Jews uh, at the castle. That was one of the questions that came up. I really yeah. enjoyed Max's lecture, Magical Jews. Do you think there is a connection between Jews and magic, something that is intrinsic? Um, well, that's the premise of this talk, which I've given on a number of occasions. Uh, this talk came about the Skirball Museum uh, in L.A. Uh, is a sort of art and cultural institution that's been around a long time. And some years ago, there was a Houdini exhibition that had been done at a museum in Brooklyn. And the Skirball bought the rights to feature that exhibition in L.A. And they went to a guy named Bert Sperber, some people watching may know the name. Bert was a lovely guy and also a wealthy guy who was a, a big donor to charities. And uh, the Skirball was not, is not solely a Jewish institution, but they lean toward Jewish cultural things. And so they went to Bert, who had donated funding for other exhibitions, and they said, would you give us money to help with the cost of this Houdini exhibition? And Bert said, well, yeah, I guess so. But, you know, Houdini isn't the only Jew in magic. Jesus was one. <laughs> so that's half your act. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so uh, Bert said, you know, there's a rich history of Jews in magic. And there's a lot of memorabilia uh, connected to that. And some of the best co collections of it are here in L.A. So they wound up putting on two exhibitions one, the, the Houdini exhibition, and the other, uh, an exhibition that was called Jewish Magicians of the Golden Age. And the latter became their most successful exhibition ever. Wow. And it was actually extended for months. So I was a, a, a minor consultant on that project. <clears throat> and... Uh, since I'd given them input and they knew that I knew some things about the topic, they called me just as the exhibit was about to open and they said, we're lining up some talks to go with the exhibit because we normally do this whenever there's an exhibit, we try to put together some relevant events. Could you do a talk? And I said, on what? And they said, well, anything that would be relevant. And I said, well, the two things that come to mind, one would be to do a sort of annotation of what you have in the display, added information beyond what's on the little cards. Or the other talk could address the following. 
pretty much everyone knows that Jews are disproportionately represented in modern magic. But nobody seems to know why. And they said, oh, that's a much more interesting talk. Do that one. <laughs> and I said, well, I have to tell you, I'm only posing the question. I don't know the answer. But there's two months between now and the time you've mentioned that you want me to do this talk. If you're willing to take the gamble, I'm willing to promise to work on, on researching the answer. And so I did. And I came up with uh, what I think is an interesting talk uh, in which I bring up the three most obvious reasons why Jews should be overrepresented in magic and then dismiss those three reasons that are the ones most people would think. Right, money, money, money. And then come up with five reasons that maybe people wouldn't think of. And all during this talk, I, I, it's illustrated both literally with PowerPoint, but also with anecdotes and, and the history itself is just interesting. And by the end of it, it, it kind of holds together. It makes sense as to why. But if you think I'm gonna try and compress that into two minutes in this interview, you're wrong. No, no, I appreciate it. I, I, I love that idea. And, uh, I it may someday make a really good coffee table book. Yes, you should do it. The visuals are great. And I have genuinely thought about doing that. And now that I have all this time on my hands, maybe I will. That, this is awesome. I, I love that we're going to end this on a scoop. I'm going to claim it as a scoop. Max Maven said it here first. Jewish magic book coming post-quarantine. Um, the last question I always ask our guests uh, is because there's a lot of young magicians who are watching from the IBM and uh, they're wondering uh, if you have an advice uh, for these young magicians, what, what, what wisdom can you offer them as they sort of begin their magical journey? Well, I've heard, I've, I've been asked this question before. Uh, so I've come up with an answer that I think is, is, is a reasonably good one. It's, it's advice that wouldn't hurt to give to older magicians too, but all the more so to young magicians. And the advice is slow down. Mm. Now, what I mean by that is not that you should work at a slower pace, although sometimes that might be useful, uh, but rather slow down because not everything can happen instantaneously, even if you want it to. You know, we live in a push button era. We are, everybody watching this is sitting in front of some sort of device that has buttons on it. And by pushing a few of those buttons, you can immediately get access to information or videos or almost anything you can think of. And that creates a fallacy, this notion that everything is attainable with instant gratification. But it doesn't work that way. And you're not doing yourself any favors if you think it does. And I'll give you the analogy that I came up with. Uh, Harrison, I'm presuming that thus far you have not produced any children, at least of any you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, nor have I, but I've seen it done. Um, <laughs> and there's babies develop in, in certain ways that are fairly standardized. Uh, some babies develop certain abilities or, or just faster than others, but certain things are kind of set. One of those is walking. Babies start walking approximately 13 months. 
you know, within a year, year and two months, that window is pretty much where babies start to walk. Now, if you are the parent of a kid who is, let's say, six months old, that baby is not going to walk. And you might say, but I want the baby to walk. I'm tired of waiting. I don't want to wait another seven or eight months. And you can cajole the baby. You can threaten the baby. You can bribe the baby. <laughs> I can picture you do all that, doing all of those things. You can do anything you want, but the baby's not going to walk that's until, right. you know, seven or eight months later. Because that's what it takes to develop that ability on the part of that baby. Now, in magic, there are things that people want to do. And I've certainly had my share of times that I went through this, particularly when I was much younger and starting in magic, where you learn a, a move or a technique or a concept and, and you kind of want to be able to do it tomorrow. And there are a few things that will work that way, but most things are not going to happen as quickly as you want. And so my, my advice is slow down. Get some perspective on things. There are techniques that are going to take months or even years to fully understand, to fully be able to do properly. And again, I'm not talking just about the, the technical sleight of hand stuff. It's everything. It, it's all looking in the, in the bigger picture in the long term. Slow down. Enjoy the journey while you're on it. But the destination may be farther away than you can manage overnight. So don't, don't rush to something that's too far away. Move deliberately, but, but slow down a little bit. No, that's wonderful advice. And especially during this quarantine, when people have extra time to maybe go a little bit slower than they normally would. Uh, I think that's a fantastic uh, button. Uh, and also the other takeaway that magicians are babies. <laughs> uh, so I think it's a perfect dual piece of advice. Max, uh, I can't thank you uh, enough for being a part of this. Uh, if people want to follow you on Instagram uh, and Twitter, uh, you just got to go to Real Max. I don't have an Instagram account. Oh, well, I'm going to make one for you. Okay, that would work. <laughs> but I do. I am now on, on uh, Facebook. That's a recent thing. But if you just look for me on Facebook, I think there are a couple of accounts on Facebook that use my name and aren't me. Oh, no. Um, but, but the one that's me, it should be pretty obvious that it's me. Awesome. And then on, on Twitter, it's uh, at Real Max Maven. Yep. When, and I joined Twitter, uh, when I joined Twitter eight or nine years ago, there was someone using at Max Maven. Oh, no. That so I was unable to get that name. What? Posing as you? No, it was some guy who, uh, who I think abandoned Twitter. Uh, as far as I've been able to figure it out, because I tried to contact him and, and didn't get a response, I th he was apparently a movie buff whose actual first name was Max, a younger I guy. And I'm, I'm guessing that his friends referred to him as a movie maven. Because <laughs> what, what, what little Twitter posting he had done was all about movies. And so I think he took the name Max Maven and didn't know that I existed. So when I joined Twitter, I, I sent him a message saying, could I have my own name? Yeah. And I never heard back from him. So well, but you probably could. The real, there it is. That's the real, real name. Maven. There we go. And yeah. I, but, I, the, but, but the one on, on Facebook account. is just Max Maven. So sorry for setting up that Max Maven account and posing as you and then not responding to your messages. That is my bad. 
Uh, but Mac, thank you so, so much. Uh, it means the world to have you on the show. Uh, and uh, yeah, I hope to talk to you soon. Stay safe and stay well. Indeed. Well, I, I, I know where to find you. Yeah. You're broadcasting on, on online All the time. every day at every hour. It's, it's, it's endless Harrison. And fortunately, <laughs> fortunately uh, it, it maintains a pretty good level. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. So, so you won't go wrong dipping in on Harrison, as it were. Um, so I look forward to seeing you virtually. Absolutely. And eventually seeing you in the flesh. A hundred percent. Max, thank you so much. Mwah. My Max, pleasure. Stay well, stay safe, stay engaged. Yes, absolutely. Max Maven, everybody. Ah, unbelievable. Uh, what an incredible uh, interview. Uh, the longest interview we've actually done. So embracing uh, the slow. Um, it, it, if there's anybody to spend uh, extra time with, it's Max. Uh, man, uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter. And a huge thank you to all of our special surprise guests. Rocky Romero, the wrestler who came in at the very beginning. This is his Twitter, uh, Azukar Rock. Make sure you follow him. Matt King joined us, which is incredible and super awesome. You can follow him at Real, uh, you can follow him at Matt King Show. There it is, Matt King Show on the Twitter. And our third and final surprise guest, uh, and current board member now of the AMA, the Academy of Magical Arts. We have Jonathan Levitt, whose app is available, Stranger uh, 1.0 and 2.0 at thestrangerapp.com. Uh, and of course, a huge thank you to Max Maven, who uh, will put up his actual Twitter, which is real Max Maven. Uh, and a thank you to Alexander, the president of the IBM, and everybody at the IBM who makes this show possible. Make sure you join at magician.org slash join the IBM slash join. Uh, you can follow me at Harrison Comedy and follow this show every Monday and Wednesday, 7 p.m. EDT, 4 p.m. PDT. Uh, the guests on Wednesday, it's a double header. We have Mike Cavney and Tina Leonard. Uh, it, I'm so excited uh, for that one. So make sure you tune back in. That one's going to be Wednesday. Uh, my name is Harrison Greenbaum. Thank you guys so much for joining for all of your incredible comments. Uh, it's, it's amazing to have everybody participating and I uh, can't thank you guys enough as well. Thank you so much. This has been Who Books That? with Harrison Greenbaum, uh, and let's queue up the final animation. Good night, stay safe, and stay well.